Hey, it's Kevin here. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us online today to listen to our content. You've joined us in a series called God Never Said That. And what we're looking at, we're looking at things that we usually say that God says, but you can't find in the Bible. This series will be intriguing, funny, and also challenging. Also, if you've not uh, downloaded our app yet, download our app. And you can also find us online at thrivechurch.me. Or you can listen to our podcast by way of iTunes, Apple Store, or Google Play. Now on to today's message. Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we this morning? All right, man, it's great to have you guys with us today. If you've just joined us, we're actually in a series, as the bumper just said, called God Never Said That. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at things that we usually say about God, or maybe put words in God's mouth that God said that he actually never said. You've probably been in an argument, and maybe with your spouse, and they've said, yeah, but you said this, and you may have said to them, yeah, I'm pretty sure I never said that. Uh, you know, it sucks whenever you're like misquoted with something. And so many times we do that to God. And so this week, what we're going to look at is probably the one that all of you have said, and maybe this week you've actually said, and it's this. God will never give you more than you can handle. Or maybe you heard grandma say it, and she made it real spiritual, and she said, honey, God will never give you more than you can handle. The Bible says, you're like, that's right, grandma said it, and the Bible says it. And I want to talk to you today about the truth that God will give you more than you can handle. And I'm going to dispel that myth. As a matter of fact, when I was praying about this and looking at this particular topic, the passage that I felt the Lord draw me to was Mark 14. And in Mark 14, if you turn there in your copy of God's Word, you're going to see that it's the night before Jesus, or the night Jesus is betrayed, and the day before he goes to the cross, where he's beaten and flogged, and he'll take on the sin of the world. And what you see in this passage is Jesus' most vulnerable moment in his human life. And look at Mark chapter 14. And we'll start with verse 32. Mark writes here, he says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, Sit here while, I'll go, while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Do you think he's got a little on his plate at this point, right? I mean, have you, have you ever felt that way before in your life, that your soul is literally crushed? It's got so much weight on it. And he says this, stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, and don't miss this, that the awful hour awaiting him might actually pass by. That's the crucifixion. That's the cross. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus, in a very vulnerable moment, he was 100% God and 100% man. We often look at Jesus and think, yeah, but he was kind of like Superman, right? Like, like he just didn't experience pain like we experience pain. Surely he didn't grieve or get hurt or he didn't go through things. But we see in Scripture that when he got thirsty... He asked for water, didn't he? He got thirsty. We see that Jesus loves naps. He was taking a nap in a boat one day. I love Jesus because he loves naps, and I love naps too. 
We see that Jesus, when his best friend died, he cried. And scholars will tell you many reasons why they think he cried. I think because Jesus was 100% man. He had a good friend who died. And the family was grieving, and it hurt Jesus. See, Jesus experienced everything in life that you and I will experience. And at this very moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus actually asked, God, I have too much on me. Do you think you could take this away from me? If there be any other way, if Buddha or Muhammad or some other religion can do it, if all religions are one, if we can just coexist, can you please let that happen? Because I don't want to experience what I'm getting ready to experience. And it wasn't just the pain of being flogged and beaten and ridiculed and naked and ashamed and embarrassed. It wasn't just that. But I want you to realize that Jesus took on the sin of the world, the wrath of God. Like literally the full wrath of God. You imagine if God just, you know, could go, could shoot all his wrath at you. That's what Jesus took. So it wasn't just the pain of the cross, but he knew emotionally taking on the sin of the world on that cross, what that would mean for him. And Jesus at that point said, God, could you please take it away? Because it's a little more than I can handle. Now, in your life, realize that you've probably thought at some point, well, God would surely never give me more than I can handle. As a matter of fact, the myth that we're going to dispel this week, and every week we're going to dispel a myth, and we're going to give you the fact from Scripture is this. If you have your notes, write this down, because this is the myth that we've all bought into. And you've probably thought this or said this in some way, shape, or form. And it's this here, that God will never allow us to be overloaded and overwhelmed beyond our own strength. That God would never allow us to be overloaded and overwhelmed beyond our own strength, right? He would never give us more than we can handle. Yet our loving Heavenly Father will allow us to be overloaded and overwhelmed way beyond what we think that we can handle in life. He will allow that. I want to kind of look at that today. Well, why would God allow that? Why wouldn't God just take these things away? Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible. I mean, Jesus got, he, he, every bit of theology, he could, hey, if all, all things are possible, God, right? I mean, you probably said that too when you're going through something. But here is the truth, and here's what I want you to write down today, and I want us to, to really grab onto it. This is the one central point that we're going to talk about today, and it's this. Here's the fact, is that God will allow us to be overloaded so we can be overwhelmed by his presence. God will allow you to be overloaded. Why is that? So we can be overwhelmed by his presence, so we can actually experience God. And that's today's big idea. So if you wrote that down, you got the big idea already. If you didn't, you got you to take some notes. You got to write that down. Because what God wants to see happen in our life is he wants you to experience him. He wants you to experience his presence when you're going through the situations you're going through. And you'll never know the strength of God until you face your greatest weakness. You'll never know the strength of God for your life personally until you go through a great weakness. And many of us never want to be weak. We never want to face trials. We never want to face suffering. I mean, I don't. I don't wake up saying, God, I'm excited with the suffering we'll face today. And if any of you guys pray that, then we have a prayer team up front after service, and they're going to pray for you. Like, bring it on, God. But the truth of the matter is, it's usually unwelcome. It's at a time when we didn't you know, expect it. And it's in those moments that God has a plan for our personal suffering. And especially when you feel like this is way too much for me to handle. 
Like, really, can one more thing go wrong this week? Have you had weeks like that before? Can one more thing go wrong? See, with our faith, God has something he wants to do with it. He wants to shape our faith. He wants to strengthen our faith. He wants to test our faith. And I'll never forget, I was going through a situation uh, as, as a young believer and I was, you know, really just had a really bad week. I mean, I just got, my dad had to fire me. I just got saved. I wasn't quite what you call sanctified yet. So, um, you know, I, I got fired from my dad's company. He had to personally fire me. He wrote a letter. It's the hardest thing he'd ever done. Uh, only that week, too, I got hit by a drunk driver in broad daylight headed to a Christian uh, concert. I totaled my car. I'll never forget, I was at church one afternoon and Mr. Mack, he was our Sunday school teacher for young adults. He stops me and says, hey, man, can I talk to you for a second? And, and I'd been saved only, I mean, literally, this was in May of, of 2000, uh, 2000 Lord, I'm 1999, right? I'm really dating myself here. And he pulls me into a room, and I'd not read through the New Testament yet. He said, he said I, have a, I have a scripture the Lord laid on my heart for you. And he shared from what Peter had shared with believers in 1 Peter about believers who were being martyred for their faith and we're facing persecution. And then Peter said this. I'll never forget this scripture. He said, don't think it's strange, the fiery trial that you're going through. Because, right, when you go through these things, don't you think it's strange? You're like, this is weird. How can somebody go through so many things in one week or one month or one year? He said, don't, don't think it's strange. And he goes on, and I'm paraphrasing this here, but he says that God allows this to happen. God doesn't do it, but he allows it. And why does he allow it? To test your faith, watch this, which is much more precious than silver or gold. The greatest resource that God's given you is your faith. And he says he, God will allow these things to happen because your faith is much more precious than silver or gold. And God wants to purify and try that. So he'll allow things way beyond what you can handle. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul he was writing to the church at Corinth, and they were like questioning, is this guy legit? Like people in the church were saying, yeah, but all Paul wants is your money. Paul's not really legit. Paul's just in it for this. And Paul says, hey, man, time out. Just wait a second. And when he's writing to the church at Corinth, Paul actually says this. He says, let's just take a survey of what I've been through. He said, I spent a night and a day on a piece of a ship, a board, in the middle of the ocean. I have been flogged with the same flogging that Jesus was flogged with, with glass on the end, shards. I've been flogged. I've been whipped. I've been beaten. I've been isolated and persecuted. I've spent much time in jail. He says, you want to question if I'm legit? Look what I've been through. And then he says this, which is so interesting. He says, the Lord stood beside me and strengthened me. He didn't say God took it all away from him. But in that moment... Paul said, I was overloaded, but then I was able to be overwhelmed by the presence of God. That's why when you're a young person, maybe like a teenager in middle school or, or, or things like that, it's not your fault. You just not experienced life yet. You're probably living off mom and dad's faith and it's passed down. And you're kind of like, oh, this is pretty cool. But I always watch young people when they come back to faith or for the first time have their, their awakening experience with Jesus. It usually happens when they face something that's too much for them. And they do remember. You, you, you think they're checked out and they don't care, but they remember. 
and they watch you as a parent, and they watch you as a grandparent, and they watch you, uh, you know, as an aunt or an uncle, they watch you go through things, and they watch your strength, and you draw from Christ, and they say, I remember church, I remember grandma and mama and what they went through, and I'm, I'm going to run to that because I need to experience God. See, your faith is kind of like a, a, a muscle. When I first started losing weight and getting in shape and realizing that, you know, my physical health is directly proportionate to my ability to lead others, and I started working on that, um, you know, I was just doing cardio, and I thought, man, I'm not sore playing basketball anymore. This is great. And I was talking to one of my friends here at church. I won't call him out, but I was talking to him at church, and I said, yeah, man, I don't get sore anymore. And we were, it's actually on social media. He says, well, you're just not doing it right yet. Either you start lifting weights, you're going to be sore. And a matter of fact, after you lift, if you're not sore, every time you do it, you know, you've not done it right. And I was thinking, man, who do you think you are? You don't know what you're talking about. And can I tell you, I was so sore the other day, I could not lift my arms up. Man, we had some praise and worship music at this pastor's conference. And I literally was doing like the, you know, the, the half mass, so you know, hold the TV up like this uh, on your shoulders. I couldn't lift my arms. I was so sore. And here's the truth about that. Your faith is a muscle. And God will allow you to be overloaded so you can strengthen your faith. Because what I was doing is just push-ups. I was just doing all these types of push-ups. And eventually the push-ups just weren't getting any results. And I was looking online and they said, the reason is you've not added any more weight. So therefore you can't tear muscle. That makes sense? And the same thing with your faith. God will allow weight to be on you and things to be on you because he is strengthening the greatest muscle you have, which is your faith. Matter of fact, some of you today are still trying to think. You're working through this. You're saying, okay, I believe you. But I'm telling you, Pastor, I heard Grandma and I heard that preacher tell me that God will never get you. I know it's in Scripture somewhere. Someone stopped me last week and said, wait a minute. I have seen this in Scripture. So before we move on, I've got to deal with the elephant in the room because some of you are still stuck on that. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, if you have your copy of God's Word, you can jot it down. Chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Paul did say something about not having too much you can't handle. But here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And I love this. And God is faithful. He will not allow the what? Temptation, whole different subject, to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. See, the idea that God will never give you more than you can handle, that you got that from, that actually deals with temptation. And what that means is, is that as a believer, when you're tempted to sin, when you're tempted to hurt somebody else, when you're tempted to dishonor God, in those moments, God will always give a way to escape. He will always give a way to escape. But it does not mean that God will not give you more than you can handle. Because as I said earlier, God will allow you to be overloaded so you can be overwhelmed by his presence. My son was, and I were talking. He said, how's glass made? I said, well, I was a little boy. My dad worked at the glass plant. He used to carry me through there. He said, well, tell me about it. And I said, well, in the glass plant, the, you know, they have extreme heat, and actually they pressurize it. And the better the heat, the better the pressure, the stronger the glass. And so he said, hey, I got a good idea. I said, what is it? He said, let's make glass today. I said, how are we going to make glass? He says, well, let's get some sand and put it on the stove. And let's heat it up real high. And we'll make glasses. And it was a terrible idea. I think, I'm pretty sure mom frowns upon things like that. 
I said, and secondly, I said, it will never become glass because there's not enough heat. And again, your faith is like that. And God will sometimes put some of the greatest heat you've ever faced in your life. And you're wondering, why am I facing this? You know why you're facing this? Because God wants to turn the heat up to make your faith something of substance. He didn't cause it, but he will always use it. And it's in those times that God wants you to experience him. So I want you to write this down in your notes because this is our next step. And when I'm not in front of you and you're by yourself and you're going through a tough time and you're wondering, man, how in the world do I face this thing that I'm going through? Here's our next step. Allow your deepest need to drive you to experience God's power. Allow your, what is your deepest need today? Every one of you came to Thrive Church. If you're like, no, man, I'm good. Life's good. I don't need anything. Nah, there's something inside of you. What is your deepest need? And I want you and I, when you go through those things, and you go through pain and hurt and betrayal and whatever that thing is for you, allow that to drive you to experience God's power in your life. Because it's going it's to drive you somewhere. And my heart is, is that you would understand that when you go through a great need, stop trying to pray the great need away. Stop trying to pray that thing away. Try, stop trying to escape the very things you're going through. I mean, even Jesus was like, hey, God, all things are possible. I mean, he prayed all night, so that was just a, a that's, that was cliff notes from the prayer that, you know, that Peter had heard and he told Mark, right? But even Jesus was like, man, I, God, I know, you, I know you can do this some other way than the cross. And I want you to understand that your greatest need can become your greatest blessing when it drives you to the heart of God, when it drives you to your knees in prayer, when it drives you to seek God. Because your greatest need is going to drive you somewhere. Your greatest need is going to drive you to something. And, and for me, uh, you know, I had a really an eye-opening experience because my greatest need when I was planning my first church was driving me to things that were unhealthy, things that were trying to medicate my soul instead of doing soul care. And when I planted our first church, and some of you know the story, I was working 60 hours a week. My wife lived an hour and a half away. We started a church with nothing, from nothing, no bill. We had nothing. And it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life, the hardest thing. It was in that need, that time, that I was being driven to things that weren't healthy. I was being driven to, I mean, I literally would at night get a whole New York-style pizza and Coca-Cola, and I would eat the whole thing. Oh, man, it was good. <laughs> it was good. I literally found myself medicating. I didn't allow my greatest need for, for a long time to drive me to experience God's power. And I'll never forget when I got to a point that I was tired of medicating and allowing things to drive me to something else. Because I didn't feel like praying. You know when you're going through a tough time, that's not the time you really feel like praying, right? When you've been hurt deeply and you've been wounded, I don't know about you, but my emotions, I'm just all in my feels, man. I'm like, I don't want to pray. I don't want to seek God. And I learned during the toughest season of my life to allow my greatest need to drive me to experience God's power. To go to, to the Lord in prayer. When I didn't feel like it, I literally would just go through the motions. I would open the Bible. I would journal and I would pray. I would write down and read scripture. And I didn't feel a thing. 
But can I tell you something? It was in that moment I began to know God in a way I'd never known God before. And it's in your moments where you have your greatest needs. If you'll let it, let those drive you to experience God's power in your life. I mean, this passage we're sharing with you in Mark 14 today is, is so unique. I want you to realize something. The Lord's Prayer, which many of you grew up as a kid reciting, is, in all, is not in all four Gospels. This is interesting now. Think about this. The Lord's Prayer is not in all four Gospels. It's actually left out of Mark, which Peter was there. He was, he's the one who dictated to Mark and told him what happened. He was the one telling Mark the story. But you know what prayer is in all four Gospels? The Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe the writers chose to include this because they saw Jesus at the most vulnerable place of his life. They had never seen their Savior so broken. Matter of fact, one, uh, you know, uh, um, the gospel says that Jesus was sweating blood. And some doctors, in, in the case for Christ, you can look at this, and Lee Strobel records that some doctors believe that's a medical condition from great anxiety and stress. The stress and anxiety was so much, blood began to come out where there should be sweat. And I really believe that the writers of those Gospels saw Jesus at a place he had never been before. And they said, man, it was in that moment I saw his greatest need drive him to experience God, to pray all night, to conversate with God. I mean, they fell asleep. They couldn't even stay up through it all. Maybe that's why the, the passage is so short. Maybe they only lasted about 10 minutes. And they're like, hey, John, man, did you do? yeah, yeah, well, I woke up and he said this. Yeah, well, I heard this little bit. And they all kind of come, but you know, but isn't it amazing that they chose to record that one? Because they saw Jesus get driven to experience God's power. I want you to write this down because this is key, and, and, and I don't want to forget this today. This, this is important about being driven. Where you go when you're stressed out, where you go when you get overwhelmed reveals what you worship. Where we go when we get overwhelmed and overloaded will reveal what we really worship. Jesus allowed to drive him to seek God and go after God. But I'm going to tell you something. Take inventory. When you get stressed, when you get overloaded, when you get overwhelmed, where do you run? For me, it was a whole pie and a Coca-Cola. For me, it was pornography back in the day. For me, it was things that was destructive. It was anger and frustration. And I first learned this lesson whenever I, I just recently just gave my life to Christ. And my, and my, my buddy who was discipling, discipling me, Eric, it wasn't a pastor who discipled me. It was a friend in the Lord. And he was discipling me. And I was still smoking cigarettes. And if you smoke cigarettes, there's no judgment here. This is just what I, happened with me. I remember that I told him one day, I said, man, I'm so stressed out. I need a cigarette. And Eric was a pull no punches guy. He said, oh, great. He said, I guess you worship cigarettes. I was like, what are you talking to? I worship cigarettes. I worship God. He says, what can that do for you that God can't do for you? I said, well, that's got nicotine. God don't have nicotine, right? <laughs> Some of y'all got that. But he said that to me. He said, are you going to choose in this moment to let stress push you to do that or push you to God? And I learned that two or three months into my walk with Christ. And I've realized that when I go through my greatest needs, when I get overloaded and I get overwhelmed, what does it drive me to? And where do you get driven?
Where is it for you? Some of you go to social media, right? Some of you go to addiction. Some of you go into isolation. What is it for you? Because it reveals what you really worship. Allow that, no matter how much it hurts, to push you to God. And here's three things I've learned. I want to share these with you quickly today as we get three things I've learned that, that when I go through those seasons of being overloaded and overwhelmed, there are three things I've learned that has to happen. When you're burdened, I want you to write this down. There's three things. The first one is this here. Where do we go when we get overwhelmed? Where should your burden drive you? And there are three things. First of all, let your burden drive you to open up to a friend. Let your burden drive you to open up to a friend. And I love what James says in James 5, 16. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Watch this. So that you may be healed. You think just, I mean, and go to our prayer team. They're down front after every service. Get them to pray for you. But the power of friendship and having somebody that you know that you can go to, when you ask God for forgiveness, he gives you forgiveness. But when you confess to a friend, you begin to find healing in your life. He says, find that. He says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Let your burden drive you to open up to a friend. What we do, and I don't know if you know this or not, but here's a public service announcement. Just FYI. The people in your social media feed aren't your friends. Some of y'all laugh sheepishly. It's like, <laughs> really? They're not your friends. And many times we vomit all over social about things that are, and we're not finding healing. We're just looking for pity. I'm not saying don't post things that you're going through on social. That's, that's fine. But what happens is if you get driven to that, but you don't have a friend a friend in your life you can talk to. You'll never find the healing that God wants you to experience when you're overloaded. Find someone you can go to and say, man, I'm hurting. Man, I'm going through a tough time. I'm really down and out. You know, there's a stat that like 85% of pastors don't have a close personal friend. Man, I've got a few close personal friends. And literally, we go to each other daily. I'll text them this afternoon, man, how you doing? Because some guys, depending on who showed up or didn't show up, will, will be extremely depressed and discouraged. I'm like, hey, man, I'm praying for you. Just tell me what you're going through. Tell me what you're facing. Tell me what's happening. And I do the same thing. And it's amazing when you do that, you find healing. Let that drive you to open up to a friend. You're saying, well, how do I experience God's presence through a friend? God created you to live through community. That's why if you just attend a church and you just, you just come and sit and leave, you'll never experience God's power. Because God created you for relationship beyond just the Sunday experience. That you experience God's power sometimes through a friend. Do you know what's amazing? Sometimes God will speak through your friends. And you know the craziest thing. Watch this, husbands. Sometimes God speaks through your wife. <laughs> and you don't want to listen, right? That's what happens to me. I'm like, oh. There has been key cornerstone moments of my life when my wife has said something to me. And I've been so angry at her, but she is doggone right, and it's the voice of God. It's amazing how eerie and similar these voices sound. And my wife has said so many things to me that's helped me out so much. So open up to a friend. The second thing you got to let your burden drive you to do when you're going through a tough time, 
and you're overloaded, let your burden drive you to create a heart of compassion. When you're overloaded and you're overwhelmed and you're going through a season that's dark and you're wondering how am I going to make it through it, let your burden drive you to create a heart of compassion. And here's what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, and Paul had just went through extreme difficulty. He had been through extreme persecution, again, beaten in prison. And here's what he writes to the church at Corinth in his second letter. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. I like what he says here. He comforts us in all our troubles. Why? Why? Why is the God of comfort comforting us? So we can be comforted? Yeah, I mean, you know, God doesn't want you not to be comforted. But I love this next phrase, henna in the Greek, so that. Here's the purpose of comfort. So that we can comfort others. If you're wondering why are you going through what you're going through, because you are going to help comfort somebody else when they go through that very same thing. You watch anybody who has a niche in helping other people, it's because they experienced it. And they found comfort. They found healing. And they want to help others do the same thing. And he says this, when they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You begin to understand what they're going through. If you're going through something, it's just not for you. Your story is for other people. It's to help somebody else. Whatever your story is. And you don't understand their story until you've been through it, right? Like the other day I sat, well, my, my, my flight was delayed from Oklahoma City, and, and I came to the airport, and I was like, man, I got two and a half hours. I guess I'm going to crank out some work. Hook my iPad's charged up. We're going to get some stuff done, right? Where's the nearest charger? Like, man, I'm, it's Friday. I'm t- I, don't, I don't write on Fridays, right? That's when I'm prep- prepping for Sunday. I said, well, I'll just get some work done. Coffee and work, and I walk in, and, and, and there's, a, there's a table of pastors there, like just, you know, from four different states that I'd just been at this conference with, didn't know each other. They're all on the same flight. They had been delayed for like four hours, and so I felt really good when I got there two hours later. I was like, uh, wow, you guys are, but we sat there, and we're just sharing stories. This one pastor, I mean, you know, and we're talking about what we're going through, and I always ask pastors two questions when I have lunch with them. A lot of guys like to talk. I like to ask questions. I said, tell me the best thing that's happened to you this year that you've implemented your church, and tell me your greatest challenge and what you've been facing. Because you can learn so much from other people asking that. And this one pastor said, man, and I noticed he was kind of like just low-key, like the whole conference. Like he just wasn't this outgoing, you know, you know happy-go-lucky guy. He was just kind of low-key. And he said, well, one of the leaders in our church, he worked in the diamond business. He sold what we believe would be, you know, different colored diamonds, whatever they're called. And for years, he was our biggest giver. He would actually give pastor appreciation gifts to my family. Long story short, he said the guy was leading a Ponzi scheme. And the federal government got a hold of him. And they didn't stop with him. Every dollar he gave to that church, they came after that church for over $2 million dollars. He said, man, I've gained 40 pounds this summer. I've been eating myself. In a, he said, I, I, I've never went through something so difficult. And man, my heart broke for this guy. Personal money he had to shell out 
not knowing if the church will be open. News cameras at the front every week, front page of the paper every week. He said, we had, nothing, we had no clue this guy was doing this. And my heart broke for this guy. And the other pastors sat there, and of course we were listening and talking, and they began to open up. And a few of them said this. They said, man, I would go back to be in the second chair right now if somebody gave me a job. And, we did, and then we said this, and we all laughed. If I could go back in time, I wish I could so I could serve my pastor better. I had no clue what that guy was going through. I thought I knew it all. I said, dude, let me tell you all something. I sent Facebook messages to all my previous pastors and said, please forgive me. I was an idiot. I thought I knew how to fix everything in a church. I had no clue what you were going through. I said all that to say this. What you go through personally makes you identify with someone else. Your weakness, your need, what you're facing, God's going to use it to help somebody else in your life. I've shared this story before with you. I never understood cancer until my mom and dad and grandmother died of it. Never understood it. Now, I mean, people tell me, yeah, I got cancer. I'm going for chemo, and I'm like, I pray for you. Man, it's tough. Wow, that's got to be tough. Well, the scripture says, you know. I had a pastor friend call me up, and he says, hey, man, I've been diagnosed with lymphoma. He's 39 years old. He's 42 years old. He says, I start chemo. It's stage three, moving into four. And, of course, he's real up about it. I'm going to tell you something. I couldn't hardly talk to the guy because I love him. I watched my mom go through the same thing. And I've reached out to him every chance I get because I have been there for someone and watched them go through it. Before, I'd have been like, hey man, I'm praying for you. Just let me know if you need anything. Now I'm like, I'm going to be there for you. Whatever you need, I'm there. Because it opens you up for a heart of compassion, right? Let your need do that. Here's the final thing we have to let our burdens do. It has to drive us to worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. Yeah, let it drive you to a friend. Find a friend. Have a heart of compassion for others when you're overloaded and overwhelmed. But here's the third thing that's got to happen. Let your burden drive you to worship and prayer. Mark 14, 34, it says that he, being Jesus, went on a little farther and fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour of awaiting might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus, in his toughest hour, ran to the Father. His toughest hour, he ran to the Father. He got on his knees and he sought the face of God. Your greatest need can become your greatest blessing whenever you let it drive you to let your answer be Christ. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know where in your soul you're hurting. Maybe you've not told a soul about it. No pun intended. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know this. If you feel like you have more on you than you can handle, you're in a good place. Because you literally will be shaped in a way you've never been shaped before. And you're going to know God in a way you've never known God before. And not only for you, you'll have a story to tell other people. And they say, how did you get through that? I thought you'd never ask. I know you don't believe in God or may not believe in Christ, but I would not have made it through it without Jesus Christ. And you're going to lead somebody else to faith because of what you're going through in your life.
So I want to pray for you this morning because some of you are facing something that's too much for you. You feel like you have too much you can handle. You feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. God's not going to take that weight away. God's just going to give you a different perspective on it so you can use it and leverage it for the kingdom. Let's pray. Father,